Hello, and welcome to Plastics News Radio. This episode is one of a series we recorded on location from the negotiations for a global plastics treaty in Paris. I'm Steve Tolikin, your host and a journalist at Plastics News. We went to the talks because this treaty could have a big impact on how we manufacture plastics, how we use it, and ultimately how we deal with its pollution. Over the next 18 months, diplomats from more than 150 countries will try to reach an agreement. In Paris, I talked with both industry and environmental groups about what they want. In this episode, we hear from Anya Brandon with the environmental group Ocean Conservancy. A former U.S. Senate staffer, Anya talked about how the treaty and other international agreements are looking at chemical recycling of plastics and how countries could deal with the debate around plastic production caps. We're here with Anya Brandon, the Associate Director of Plastics Policy with the environmental group Ocean Conservancy. Uh, Anya is very active in plastics-related environmental policy, including around chemical recycling. And before joining Ocean Conservancy, she was on the staff of Oregon Senator Jeff Merkley, where she helped write the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act. Uh, Anya is also an environmental engineer. uh, And we're talking here on uh, day two of the Paris round of the plastics treaty negotiations, uh, where we're among uh, diplomats from 170 countries and more than 1,500 delegates from industry, environmental groups, civil society. Um, So first off, just let me say thank you for joining us, Anya. Thank you for having me. Um, Let's start with, can you briefly introduce Ocean Conservancy and just talk about what uh, your group's priorities are for this round of the talks? Great question. Uh, Ocean Conservancy is a 50-year-old environmental nonprofit are tackling the ocean's greatest challenges. Um, And we know, of course, one of those is plastic pollution. Um, And really, we like to say that we're working with you, um, the the global you, um, to achieve a healthier ocean supported by a more just world. Um, And certainly, the um, internationally legally binding instrument to end plastic pollution, or the Plastics Treaty, is a great opportunity to do that. Um, So we're working towards a a strong, comprehensive treaty that um, addresses plastics across the entire life cycle. Uh, some of our priorities uh, within that include um, meaningful source reduction of plastics with a focus first and foremost on uh, single-use plastics, um, really making sure that the treaty addresses ghost gear, um, which is lost or abandoned fishing gear at sea, um, addressing microplastics, both primary and secondary microplastics, um, ensuring that there's an upstream redesign of plastics to make sure they uh, can be part of the circular economy, investments in that a circular economy, and ensuring that none of those investments go to chemical recycling. Um, and finally, making sure that um, you know the informal sector and waste pickers are really included throughout the negotiation process. Okay, I know that uh, Ocean Conservancy has been very active on the issue of chemical recycling. Um, I guess it was about 10 days ago. Uh, you know, you, your group came out with a public statement uh, critical of a recent United Nations report uh, for saying that chemical recycling is a potential solution uh, to the problem. Can you, and you, are, you argue that they shouldn't do that, can you expand on that point or talk about why you don't see chemical recycling as a solution? And how do you expect, these, how do you expect chemical recycling to play out in these talks? Yeah, all great questions. You know, I think our um, Chemical recycling, as we uh, know and think of it today, um, is not recycling. We are not recovering plastics in those processes, um, and instead we end up generating both harmful greenhouse gas emissions and harmful toxins. Um, Where these facilities are sited tend to 
um, be co-located in low-income minority communities. So it's really perpetuating environmental injustice that these communities have already experienced and suffered. Um, so really, as we think about moving towards a circular economy, we know that we need um, some amount of recycling. We cannot recycle our way out of this crisis, but we do need recycling to get off of virgin fossil fuel-based plastics. Um, and we can only do that if we're recovering plastics, which right now chemical recycling does not give us the ability to do, um, which is why we don't see chemical recycling as a you know, viable solution um, or really anything that should be part of this treaty. So we're obviously only in day two of mm -hmm. the second of five rounds of talks, so you could say it's very early. Um, <laughs> do, do you have any, uh, any sense of how you see the chemical recycling issue playing out in the treaty, in the language we might see, things like that? Do you have a feel for that yet? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think it's hard to get a sense of how things will go, um, especially right now when we have not gotten uh, to the substance, um, hardly at all, um, you know, at least this week. Um, and I think chemical recycling is likely to be one of the major challenges um, and sticking points and areas of disagreement. Um, you know, for context, we saw chemical recycling as another sticking point, or, or as a sticking point in another um, international um, multilateral environmental agreement recently, um, the Basel Convention. So I was just in Geneva maybe two and a half weeks ago um, for the Conference of Parties for the Basel Convention, and they were looking at these technical guidelines for the environmentally sound management of uh, plastic waste, and chemical recycling came up over and over and over again as a sticking point uh, because many, many countries in the room recognize that this is not environmentally sound management, this is not um, a technology that is safe or um, viable in their communities and is not actually advancing us towards a circular economy. Um, and a strong um, and vocal minority of countries um, feel very differently about that. Um, and so this came up and um, essentially ended with that whole chemical recycling section being in brackets, uh, which in UN or, or multilateral environmental agreement terms means we couldn't decide on this. Um, so I think it will be a sticking point, certainly. Okay, well thank you for that context. Um, let's just, obviously chemical recycling or advanced recycling, as, as some of the plastics industry refer to it, uh, mm -hmm. um, the people who advocate for that technology will say that you know it's needed for better handling of recycling of food grade plastics. Uh, we're not gonna be able to recycle enough of the harder to recycle plastics uh, without that sort of technology. Um, and in terms of getting plastics back to a condition where we can uh, use it in medical grade or in food packaging, we need these sorts of technologies and these technologies are developing, getting better. Um, do you think those arguments are missing things? Yeah, I think the main thing that those arguments um, are missing is that it's, you know, we all recognize that our recycling system today, even in um, a developed country like the United States, is falling short, um, but it's not the fault of mechanical recycling as a technology, it's the fault of what we're putting into the system. Recycling isn't broken, the plastics we're putting into the system are. Uh, so if we don't design plastics and packaging and material to be recyclable in the first place, uh, label them such that consumers know what to do with them, and then collect them, 
we're never going to have a well-functioning recycling system, which is what we've seen over the last 50 years. We do not have a well-functioning recycling system. Um, so I think uh, you know, a lot of folks are looking, you know, in the industry, are looking to new technologies as a silver bullet or quick fix uh, to a problem that is ultimately rooted in the very products that they are making. Um, and so we need to look upstream and say, what can we do and simplify to our products to ensure that they're actually recyclable? Um, and there's precedent for this. So California's um, new expanded pro extended producer responsibility law, um, SB 54, will actually require that all single-use um, plastics and, and packaging writ large um, will have to be actually recyclable by 2032. Um, so we know that country, you know, Con, uh, companies are going to have to move this direction anyways. Um, California is a very large market, um, and so we're hoping that that helps kickstart and that the treaty can help um, expand on that move to upstream redesign. In a sense, well not in a sense, um, a lot of plastic industry groups will say, ver say very similar things regarding redesign of products regarding, uh, even at this point, extended producer responsibility. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think there are some areas of common agreement where the treaty is likely to, to, to find areas that it can move ahead on, where you can have broad agreement? That's a great question. Um, I do think there are a few areas um, where I'm hopeful that we see alignment. Um, you know, certain core obligations, I think, would be um, that I've seen folks um, align around, um, you know, investing in collection and um, existing recycling infrastructure first and foremost, um, addressing issues like microplastics. Um, I'm trying to think of others that I've um, been well, you, you hearing were you were discussed. And you were talking about design of, of products mm -hmm. and things like that, so. Yeah, I think there is, uh, I don't know if there's full alignment yet okay. on um, what it means to be recyclable and you know requiring all products to actually be recyclable. Um, I'm sure that some in the industry are there and that others might not be. Um, but I think that is an area where we could push and really um, try to incorporate something like that. Okay. Um, I want to go. Want to raise? Go back to a topic uh, of a little bit of contention here Please. at the Paris talks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, we've seen in these first two days, uh, talks have gotten off to a, a, a rocky start, and a lot of observers are suggesting that the issue of production caps on virgin plastic is a significant reason for this uh, rocky start. Um, so I wanted to ask you, as someone who has worked in the United States Senate, uh, do you think that it, politically it's possible for the United States government to support something like that? Uh, how do you see that idea uh, playing in the United States? Yeah, well, first on you know the, the start of this round of negotiations, you know we're certainly disappointed that procedures uh, taking precedent over the urgency of the problem. Um, you know, we're all here working towards solutions to one of our greatest challenges um, that the planet is facing, and we do hope that countries can uh, move forward so that we can really get to the work. Um, you know, to your question of production caps, um, source reduction, other, you know, upstream reduction method, <laughs> upstream reduction um, methods um, in the U.S., you know, I think there are ways that the U.S. government can um, 
go about enacting this. Um, the executive branch has a lot of authority through um, their own procurement methods, through executive orders, uh, through economic policy and um, subsidies for um, certain industries, namely the fossil fuel industry. Um, so I do think there are methods and ways in which the um, executive branch can um, advance some of these issues. Um, certainly the legislative branch is a challenge uh, when we are discussing um, treaties or other um, international agreements that need ratification. Um, you know, we're a few years out from that question, right. um, but I don't, uh, I think there's a, it's a safer bet to start thinking about how we can, you know, push to do more with the executive branch um, or work even at the, you know, sub-national level to make sure that we are living up to the U.S.'s commitments, um, even if we cannot get full ratification through the Senate. Okay, that's very interesting. So you're suggesting that there may be some methods that would have the same impact as a production cap, but may not actually be a production cap, if I'm hearing you right. I don't know if I would say they would have the same impact. Okay. You know, I think a true production cap or source reduction target um, are obviously the strongest and most effective measures. Um, I think there are other ways that um, we can legislate or regulate to you know, try to achieve some of that same um, impact or effect, um, knowing that we will struggle to ratify something. Um, and at the same time, we have seen a lot of appetite in the U.S. Senate for um, addressing plastic. So I, I wouldn't count us out just yet. You know, um, earlier this week, Senator uh, Jeff Merkley and uh, Representative Huffman sent a letter calling on the U.S. to be more ambitious in their statement. Um, I know the first letter that they sent was signed by, um, you know, a couple dozen members of Congress um, on a, a similar issue. Um, so I do know that there is some hunger and appetite in um, Congress for this. So I think it'll be one of those devils in the details moments. Okay, I appreciate that context. That's really interesting uh, nuances. Um, and finally, um, just a, a general question. How do you think this agreement will change the plastics industry? Or maybe another way to ask that is how do you think it will change how the market or the public consumes and uses plastic? I think a successful version of this treaty or agreement um, will streamline and simplify the industry, um, both for businesses and for consumers. So thinking through an upstream redesign of products, of additives that are going into those products, um, our recycling system in terms of what we're collecting, how we're labeling that, um, and for consumers having a more um, streamlined and simplified process for what we are buying, how we can engage with our waste management systems, and how we can engage with alternative business models like reuse and refill systems, um, take back systems, things like that. Um, so I think that would be my vision for what a future looks like after a successful treaty. Okay, well, a future vision sounds like a good place to end this podcast. <laughs> Anya, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. This has been a Plastics News production. For more on the Global Plastics Treaty and other stories on plastics public policy matters, 
visit us at plasticsnews.com. And thanks for listening.